go to Hebrews 13 right quick, amen? Hebrews 13, and we'll begin our reading again at verse number one. I thank God for each one of y'all. Listen, it is a privilege to pastor this church. I say it all the time. Uh, I've, I've, I've been around uh, a few places and talked to a lot of different people, and I realize we are blessed here at this body. We're not perfect by no stretch of the imagination, but I believe we are blessed. Uh, and I've talked to enough pastors to know that this is a blessed situation that we have going on here at the Elizabeth Baptist Church in Benton, Louisiana. Amen? Uh, God is a good God, and I thank God for it. So Hebrews, the 13th chapter, we've been talking about, we started off on last week, Show Me the Evidence. Because we've been studying, we just completed a study in the book of Hebrews, and shameless plug, shameless plug. This is a shameless plug, amen? Uh, registration is now open for our next church-wide study. We're going to study the book of Ephesians, amen? The book of Ephesians. A uh, great book that that ties into what we've been talking about, uh, the, the reality of the fact that Jesus died to bring us together in him, to, to show the love of God for all of mankind. So don't miss it. Sign up, uh, uh, register, uh, and get ready for our next church-wide study. Amen? So Hebrews 13, begin our reading at verse number 1. Y'all there? Let's go, guys. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Next verse. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Next verse says, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Verse 4 and 5 says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral, and those who commit adultery. Let's go. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never what? Abandon you. Next verse, let's go, says this. So we can say with confidence. Everybody say confidence. The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. Stop it. Park it right for a second. Holy Spirit just brought back to my mind the message that Sister Maria shared a few weeks back. Uh, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid of, and there was a blank uh, in the topic there. Because all of us, if we're honest about it, there's probably some things that we are afraid of. And that's why the Bible consistently and constantly throughout the pages of Scripture tells us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Everybody say, don't be scared. Consistently it says that, and here it is again. The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? All right, we're going to stop there and, and begin to unpack some more of this passage here. Because again, as I shared with you, the, the writer has, has in, in the book of Hebrews, given us some, uh, some doctrinal things to ponder and to take note of. Uh, as we live this Christian life. He wrote this to Hebrew Christians who were facing persecution because of their stand for gospel truth. Are y'all with me? And so he writes and he tries to let them know that what you have in Christ is better than what you came out of. What you came out of, Judaism, uh, the animal sacrifice, the high priest system of that day was only a a type of what the true thing that was going to come in the form of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate sacrifice, who died on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Can I get a witness? 
So he, he, so he writes there to let them know that what they have in Christ is far better. But the reality is they were facing persecution because they made a stand for truth. And I'll tell you, like I've told you on numerous occasions, Scripture tells us all who live godly in Christ Jesus, we're going to suffer some persecution. There's going to be people who come at you because you choose to stand on truth and not go with their foolishness. Hello? So if you're living godly in Christ Jesus, it did not say, well, maybe you will. Uh, uh, I, I don't know about it. it. It possibly. It says all that live godly in Christ Jesus, Lou, shall do what? Suffer persecution. And these Hebrew Christians were actually facing persecution at this time at the writing of this letter. So he's writing to encourage them. You see, guys, as, a, as your pastor, I always want to be an encourager. I want to encourage you to live out your faith. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. I want to, I want, I want to push you along. I want, to, I, want to, I want to be a catalyst in your life to, to not let you settle for just okay. Because in, in, in the words of the AT&T commercial, just okay is not okay. How many of y'all ever cooked some food and it was just okay? How many of y'all ever ate at a restaurant and, and sat down to eat? And you say, well, it wasn't bad, but it just, you know, it's all right. Anybody ever been there before? And, and usually those restaurants, you're not going around telling everybody else, man, you need to come over here and eat. Because, man, the seasoning of the food, it was so rich and it was, it, was, it was off the chain. No, if it's just okay, it's just okay. And let me tell you something. Uh, even as a body of believers here in, in the church, just, just doing church on average or just, just kind of going through the motion, it is not okay. Because in the age that we live in, we need a church body, a body of believers, a Christian community that says we're going to live for Christ and we're going we're to give God our very best. Amen? How many of y'all want a husband who just, 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 just love you okay? How many of y'all want a wife who just kind of just, just love you okay? How many of y'all want that type of love that, 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 that I call it that crazy love? All right. Let me, let me take some of y'all back because some of y'all have forgotten. Maybe you've maybe you forgotten when you were crazy in love with somebody. Are y'all following me? When you did stuff that you wouldn't have dreamed of doing because you did it because they liked doing it. You went places that you would have not ordinarily went because that person who you were crazy in love with wanted to go. You know you didn't know, you, you, didn't, you, 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 you never even thought about going to an ice hockey game. But he wanted to go see ice hockey. So you went along with him. So, so, so. That, that, that kind of love, that, that love that's, that, that says, I'm going to do whatever you desire for me to do because I'm in love with you, and I want to be with you. Are y'all tracking with me today? So, so, so let, let, let's, let's, let's go back and unpack. Now, on last week, we, we, we said that there are four evidences of our faith. We talked about show me the evidence. So the writer here begins to lay out some things, lay out some things that should be present in our everyday existence. I've told you before, we have to have a paradigm shift in the way we think about our faith journey because many of us grew up in a, in a concept where it, our faith journey was, was, was characterized by what we do on Sunday morning. And if you went to church, you were a good person. If you paid your tithes and offering, you were an even better person in a lot of people's eyes. And, and, and if, you, if you did one or two things, you were okay. But now God is saying, I want, I want to walk with you every day. 
I want to use you outside the four walls of of this church. I want you to be an ambassador for me. I want you to represent me well. We've been saying that quite often for the last couple of years. Go out and represent your God well. So he begins for evidence. The first thing we say is we should be enjoying spiritual fellowship. Now, we, we talked about that last week. We said one, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that should be evident in our life is brotherly love. Everybody say brotherly love. I told you on last week, and I don't want you to miss this, a church fellowship based on anything other than love for Christ and for one another will not last and will not please God. Let me repeat that. Based on anything other than love for Christ, church fellowship should not be based on how you look on the outside. It should be based off of uh, what your political party persuasion is. If it's based on anything other than love for Christ, we're off base. Are y'all with me today? So as your pastor, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to stay with the word. I tell you this all the time. If you don't like Bible teaching and Bible preaching and me exhorting and encouraging you to follow this stuff, then, then you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna probably be a little uncomfortable. That's okay to be uncomfortable as long as the, your uncomfortableness calls you to do something about the uncomfortableness. Take, take for instance, if you've got a little something in your eye, a speck in your eye that's kind of irritating, it, it's hard to function without getting that thing out, right? So if something is irritating you, uh, uh, then, then, then you've got to do something about it. So if the word of God is irritating you, one way that you get the irritation out is start obeying it. Obey it till your flesh get in line. Amen? All right, so brotherly love. Everybody say brotherly love. Now, I, I got to correct something that I said when I went back and listened to the message. I made a mistake on last week when I was saying brotherly love. Uh, I gave you the wrong word. I said, I meant to say ahab, and I, I pronounced it. Listen, I went back and I said, what in the world was I talking about? The, the, the word, the, the, the Hebrew word ahab, A-H-A-B, is what I'm going to talk about with, as it relates to hospitality. But the, but the Greek word for brotherly love is phileo. Which again, uh, phileo, the root Greek word, uh, which the city of Philadelphia is known as the city of what? Brotherly love, okay? So phileo is brotherly love. Can I get a witness? Brotherly love is so needed in this hour, guys. When you see the vitriol, the hatred, the animosity that is pervasive throughout this country today, we need a church body, a group of Christians who's going to say, I'm going to walk in brotherly love. I'm going to be the person who's going to show the love of Christ no matter who, who, who's, who's doing whatever crazy thing that they're doing, okay? So brotherly love is needed in this hour. Uh, we need this brotherly love. It's a love that will, that will love so much that it will not give up no matter the problem of the opposition. People need to be reached with the gospel and need to grow in their faith no matter how contrary they are or how lost or depraved they may be at this very moment. We as Christians can't give up on people. Now, I want you to think for just a second about somebody in your life or somebody who you know who you've sort of given up on. I want you to think about that for a second. Think about that person who you said, I'm through. I'm out. Knowing all the time that God moved you to to interface with that person, but you you got disheartened. You you gave up. You, You said, well, God ain't big enough to change this person or he's not big enough to use me to interface with this person uh, and, 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 and allow the Holy Spirit to have his perfecting work in me so that I can reach this person who, 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 who really kind of gets on my nerve right now. But I know God sent me to him, but, I, but I'm out. 
I want you to think about that person because see, brotherly love, the type of love that, that, that's pervasive, that the type of love that's, that's akin to agape love, uh, does not give up because we are, we're not depending on our intellect, our uh, power of persuasion, our uh, 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 strong will to change a person. You can't change nobody. I can't change anybody, but the Holy Ghost can. And when we learn to trust in the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to do his perfecting work, then, then we'll trust him to move and to use us to reach people. Can I get a witness? So if believers don't love enough to reach those who are lost, they will never be reached. So he says, let brotherly love continue. Everybody say continue. So brotherly love is enjoying spiritual fellowship. If you're enjoying spiritual fellowship, brotherly love should be evident in your life. It should be evident because you, you love the brethren so much that you're not going to let them go astray without saying something. You're not going to let them just keep going in the, di- in the ditch without confronting or, or, or getting before them and saying, listen, this is God's way. And I'm not going to sit back idly by and watch you destroy yourself. Can I get a witness? And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, if, if we as a church body don't g- grasp this, uh, th- that's going to be a, a either further falling away, I believe, from the truth of the gospel message. And it happens even within the church. So I, I, as your pastor, I'm telling you, I'm not going to let you settle for j- just, just being okay and being complacent. You know, one of the things that we're doing as a ministry is, is looking at every area of ministry to see how can we get better at it. And, and, and if, you, if you don't want to get better, you're going to get uncomfortable around here. Amen? As a matter of fact, you may get tired of me, but that's okay. I ain't tired of you because I'm going to do what God told me to do. Now, the next thing, here's the next thing. I want to unpack this next nugget right here. So in Jordan, the spiritual fellowship, that should be brotherly love, all right? Because remember, they, they, they were facing persecution. Uh, they were kicked out of their, many of them kicked out of their families, couldn't go to the temple any longer. So, that, so, so they need to support each other with brotherly love. Second thing is hospitality. Go back to Hebrews 3 and 2 right quick. Everybody say hospitality. Where there is true Christian love, there will always be hospitality. I want, I'm gonna, it says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. As strangers here, I want you to understand something. Uh, we, we tend to think of just somebody who just, just rolled up on us, never seen them before in our life. Um, and and I'm, I'm sure there are cases where this applies to that. But by and large, he was dealing with showing hospitality to fellow believers who because of the persecution were not able to, to travel and not able to stay in places uh, because they were, they were being hunted down in a lot of cases. And he says, I want you to show hospitality to these fellow believers who are going about doing the work of ministry, traveling from place to place, sometimes fleeing persecution. Be a, 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 a host for them. Can I get a witness? He says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing. So let, can I, I want to give you three scriptures just to kind of drive home the point here about this ministry of hospitality. Because it was a very important ministry in the early church because, again, the persecution drove many of these believers away from their homes. And so they were also traveling ministers, as I told you before, who were going from place to place preaching the gospel, and they needed a place to stay, to reside. And so... Go to go with, with the third John uh, verses five through eight. Third John verses five through eight. I just want to kind of 
Put this in your spirit because the Bible consistently talks about this ministry of hospitality. And I want to share with you that this didn't just start in the book of Hebrews. You're going to see that this was ingrained in the culture of the Israelites. And I'll go back and unpack that for you. It says, dear friend, you're being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through. Even though they are what? Here we go. Even though they are what? Strangers to you. Keep going. It says, they have told the church here of your what? Loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that what? That pleases God. Let's go. Next verse. For they are what? All right. Let's stop right here. They are traveling forward and they accept nothing from people who are not what? This is why I, I get a little irritated. Now, I say irritated. I just, I'm, I'm like, well, maybe they just don't know any better. When I go to Walmart or someplace and I see um, uh, uh, people from different churches uh, trying to collect money from anybody who will come by. Let me say it again. I get a little irritated because here's what I do know. If I don't know anything else, I've seen God's faithfulness in supporting the work of ministry here at EBC. Because we chose a long time ago 33 years ago, to be exact, to do it God's way and to trust him. Now, listen, uh, I'm, my challenge to each one of you all is, is to do your part in helping the work of ministry get funded here at EBC. You cannot do ministry without money. Let me say it again. You cannot do ministry without money. Why in the world did Jesus have a treasurer? If he can pull money out of a fish's mouth, why did he need a treasure? Because he didn't pull money out of the fish mouth to do the work of ministry all the time. He did that miraculous thing to show the power of God, but they had a treasurer. And they were supported by people who were of the faith. Can I get a witness? So each one of us have a responsibility to support. If you are a member of this church, you have a responsibility to support the work of the ministry through your tithes, offering, and sacrificial giving. So we're not going to go out and ask the world to fund what God says. If you do it my way, I'll make sure there's sufficiency in the house. And every year, God has made sure that there is sufficiency in the house. So I want to encourage you, if you have not been supporting the work of ministry, not with your tip, but with your tithes and offerings. With your sacrificial giving. So, 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 so when, when you're out there collecting from the world, I think that, that that's, to me, I'm not saying every situation is, is wrong. I'm, I just observed that there have been some churches who are asking the world to fund what God says. I'll make sure it gets done when you do it my way. I've told you before, we're not going to have you out here washing cards uh, uh, on Saturday morning to, to, uh, to pay the utility bills for have I ever asked y'all to, 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 to wash cars or sell plates? No, I'm not. Listen, I tell you before, I'm, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. If a youth group wants to go out and wash cars or raise money to go on a trip or something, cool. But it ought to be that we love them enough to fund whatever they get ready to go to. And you as a parent, and you as a parent, and you as a parent, I'm saying this, I'm saying this intentionally because we get ready to go to a, a, a youth summer camp, and we're gonna we're gonna help fund that. But as a parent, as a parent, you should be you should be you should be anxious to fund 
their camp trip just as well as you do their school trip. You pay $1,000 for them to go to Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C., and that's good, but won't pay $25 for them to go to camp. Now, if you don't have it, that's one thing, but some people have it but won't expend it. You'll pay to go to Six Flags, but not necessarily to pay for them to go to get the gospel poured into them. But if we do it God's way, he'll make sure it gets done. All right, can we keep moving? Can we keep moving? So, so, so we're going to, so, so he says this, for they are traveling for the Lord and they accept nothing from people who are not what? Hmm. Can we keep reading? Next verse, let's go. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. Do you not realize that when you're fed spiritual things, there is a moral and biblical obligation to pour into the life of the person who's feeding you spiritual food. Paul said it over in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter. Go and read it. Don't have time to go today, but go and read it. Paul talks about the fact that if is it a strange thing that we should reap of your material possession because we're feeding you spiritually? He says, so we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. So whenever I sow into a ministry, whether it's a radio ministry or, or a television ministry that, that blessed me or this church, whatever, then now I am partnering with the truth that's being taught. Is that what he says here? So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. So stop depending on the world to do what God says we should do as a church. Hello? Stop selling raffle tickets to everybody that come by and support the work of ministry through your tithes, offering, and sacrificial giving. Okay? Cool? We, you know we don't even take an offering a container up right here. But you, so it's, it's, it's an honor system. I'm not going to beat you over the head because if you're not doing it in faith, it doesn't bless you and you don't get blessed anyhow. Y'all follow me? But just do what's right. Learn how to trust God. All right, I got to keep moving. Go to Romans 12 chapter. Romans 12 verse number 13. Watch this. So he said, show hospitality, those traveling ministers especially. The question becomes, if we had a missionary that come to town and was off the mission field from wherever for two weeks or one week, would you be willing to host them? Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor, I don't know them. Okay. All right. What did we? Hospitality. Everybody say hospitality. I'm just teaching what the word says. Watch the text. When God's people are in need, be ready to what? Always be eager to practice what? Eager, 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 not begrudgingly, but be eager to practice what? Go to Titus 1 and 8. I'm just laying the foundation. I want you to see what the word of God says as it relates to what we as believers should be ready and to do. Again, remember, he's talking, remember what's happening. These Christians were being persecuted. They were traveling some and moving and from place to place. And again, a lot of the hotels were places of ill repute. Uh, When I say places of ill repute, a lot of prostitution stuff was going on at a lot of the inns. And then then a lot of the inns were were more expensive than what some of these 
these believers who were doing the work of ministry could even afford to, to reside in. So, 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 so the writer says, show hospitality. Watch the text here. Rather, go back up to the, uh, if you will, the verse before that, because I, I hate to start in the, in the middle of that. An elder is a manager of God's household. An elder is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. Right, listen to this. If you're going to be a spiritual leader, elder spiritual leader, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. If you're going to lead anything in the body of Christ, you can't afford to be arrogant or quick-tempered, hot-headed. He must not be a heavy drinker. I would argue he shouldn't be drinking at all. Violent or dishonest with money. Look at verse number eight. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. And he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and what? Disciplined life. If you're going to lead and be a, a ministry leader, quick-tempered, angry, prideful, uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't bode well. Are y'all with me? It does not bode well. So we've got to make sure that we are on track and following this. And, and, and he says he must enjoy having guests in his home. I know this. When, when, when some of y'all hear this, something on the inside of you kind of just starts to move and, and get all itchy. Because some of us have some, some, some little idiosyncrasies we've got to overcome. In other words, if somebody come over there with a child, you follow the child around the house. Don't sit there. Don't hit that. Don't touch that. I understand the parent that comes over there should teach that little rascal not to be bad and tearing up other folks' stuff. That's cute. No, it ain't cute. But it comes with the territory. All right? There are going to be some times when when maybe they haven't been trained appropriately. All right? Am I helping anybody? But I'm, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm trying to get at that thing that's in your heart, that thing that's in your, inside of you that, that you had acknowledged to everybody, but you, maybe some of you have, but, but you, you kind of held it to yourself because this, this part about enjoying having guests in your home sort of kind of gets to you a little bit. All right? But I'm just reading the Bible. Is it in the Word? Go to the KJV. Somebody said, well, that's the NLT. It ain't right. <laughs> Let's go to the KJV, brother Jay. <laughs> it says, but he must be a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, a lover of hospitality, a lover of having guests in your home. All right? Now, this was an important ministry in the early church because, because persecution drove many of the believers away from their homes. And also there were traveling ministers, as I told you before. Um, can we go back to the beginning, the very beginning? Go to Genesis, the first chapter. This ministry of hospitality actually began at the very beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden. God created this, 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 this palatial place, and he dropped some guests there in the garden. Everybody say in the garden. So this ministry of hospitality actually began at the very beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden. For Adam and Eve, Eden was not a home they made. They were simply guests. Genesis 1, and let's look at verse number 31 right quick. I just want to uh, pop this in and we'll, we'll keep moving. 
It says, then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was what? Very, everything he made was very good. And you go back and read the rest of this chapter. It, it talks about the Garden of Eden being formed, okay? It was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. The God looked over all that he had made, all that he had made. So it was God's place. Everybody say it was God's place. It was God's, it was God's place that he made, and he put man in there. He created man and, and placed him in the garden. Even after, you know, for Adam and Eve, again, it was not their home that they made, so they were guests there in God's place. And God, being the creator and the maker of Eden, could put his parameters around what could take place in his garden. Now, the beauty of this thing is that God gave mankind free reign in the garden, in the place that he created. He told them to, you can have free reign, eat whatever you want, except... Amen? Everybody say accept. Yeah. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? So, but, so after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good, good and evil, they were what? Kicked out of the house. All right? Even after the fall and the displacement of Adam and Eve outside the garden, the practice of hospitality still remained. For Israel, listen to this carefully. For Israel, again, remember Israel, God, in order to to, to manifest himself in human flesh had to choose a people group to come into the earth ram through. So he chose uh, the people of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, to come through. As I said, down through 42 generations to be born in the manger of Bethlehem. He chose that ethnic group to birth himself into the earth ram. So for Israel, hospitality was not just a suggestion, a thing to do whenever uh, they felt up to it. It was a command given by God as a way to ensure that every outsider was welcome. Go with me, if you will, to Leviticus chapter number 19, verse number 34. Leviticus chapter number 19, verse number 34. This is not something that just was haphazard. So when I, see, when I say we should be ministers of hospitality, we should... Be careful to entertain strangers, for by some we've entertained strangers, uh, angels unaware. Many of y'all hear that, and you're like, that ain't for me. Many of y'all hear that, and you're trying to figure out ways that you don't have to have somebody come by your house. Can we be honest? I'm going to show you something, and we're going to, thank God, I got to keep moving because I got to show you this today, okay? We only going to probably get to hospitality today, uh, but that's, that's cool, okay? Because this is important. You're going to see that hospitality and the table and the meal and food and, and having people at your table was very integral in the ministry work of Jesus Christ himself. You're going to see that the nation of Israel this was not something that they, they, they could just, uh, uh, choose to do so if they wanted to and not. If they didn't, it was a part of their structure. Because God, in the old covenant, uses a lot of typology, things to get our minds ready for what he's getting ready to do in the new. Can I get a witness? Animal sacrifices on the altar uh, by the high priest was simply a foreshadowing or a typology of Jesus himself coming to die on the cross. Are y'all with me today? All right, so watch, watch this. He says, back up, back up, back up. Let's go. He says, do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. 
Can we read it out loud? Read it together. It says, do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Next verse. Watch this. Treat them like native-born Israelites. All right, stop here. Let me, let me, let me, let me give a plug here for, for, the, for the gospel message. If somebody don't look like you, don't treat them differently than you would treat somebody who does look like you. Y'all with me? Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once, come on, foreigners living in the land of Egypt, and I'm the Lord your God. See, they were once foreigners, slaves in Egypt, and God delivered them. And when God delivered them, he said, listen, when you have strangers among you, treat them like they belong to you. So, so, so the, the love that's, that, that's, that's exemplified and mentioned in this verse is the Hebrew word Ahab, A-H-A-B. It's the same kind of love scripture used to describe the love of a father, the love of a father has, the love that the father has for his son, and more remarkably, the love that God the father has for humanity as a whole. Go to Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29. Come on, can we move? Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 through 29. Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 through 29. Guys, I, 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 listen, when I began to study this thing more in depth and, and, to, and to read about it, I, I realized that, that this is something that if we're going to cultivate a mindset of authentic community, if we're going to cultivate true authentic community, in other words, being, being, being willing to draw people into our circle. Some of y'all got closed circles. You only want certain people around you. Can I come to this side? Can I come to this side? You got your circle and it's closed and you won't let anybody in. That's why a lot of times when it comes to small groups, small groups get started, they get, they get, get going. But the purpose of getting a small group is so you can grow. You can, you, you can, you can pull people together. Y'all can disciple one another and help grow. And then you get strong enough so you can break out and start another group. Well, Jeff, you've been doing this for quite a, quite a long time, and I, I marvel at the fact that, that, that you get men together and, and, and you study and you grow, and then now they grow enough to where you trust them to go out and reach some other people. The reality is don't grow enough where you can trust them to, to, to minister or share with anybody. Now, listen to me carefully. I'm not throwing stones at anybody in this church. But the reality is, if you've been here 15, 20 years and you can't disciple somebody, there is something wrong. You've been here all this time and you're not even, you haven't grown to the point to where you're willing to reach out and pull somebody close and not, not drive them away. I'm going to tell you all something. And listen to me very carefully. I love you, but some of y'all... Now, some of us, I don't want to say y'all like I'm pointing fingers. Some of us have to submit ourselves to growing in Christ Jesus. And some of us got to get out of doing church as usual and realize that God wants to use you to create authentic community, to be able to pull people close to you, to be able to invite somebody to your house for a meal or meet them in a restaurant. You can meet them in a restaurant. That's cool, too. But there's a degree of intimacy that Jesus is going to show us as I try to get there that is prevalent in his ministry and it's something that we should begin to model. Watch this. At the end of every third year, 
bring the entire tithe of the year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. He says, watch this next verse. Give it to the Levites who will receive, who, who, who will receive no allotment of land among you as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your towns, so they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. He's, God is thinking about the marginalized. God is thinking about the stranger, the person who you may not necessarily know personally, but God brings them across your path. All right? This is an important ministry. Now, this law, what we see in Deuteronomy, was God's way of directly providing for the physical needs of the marginalized. And in a broader sense, it foreshadowed the provision he will later extend to us, the church, who were foreigners in a, in, in a, in a foreign land, foreigners of the faith, alienated from God. We were adopted in. And how many of y'all know that we were not natural-born Jews, most of us, and so we were adopted, we were grafted in. God's purpose and plan all to bring Jew and Gentile together into one body. So hospitality wasn't just important to the Israelites. It was a legal obligation. And in, in, in accordance to the Talmud, which the Talmud which is, a, is a collection of writings containing civil and religious laws of the Jews. The, 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 see, when you look at the Talmud, the hosting of strangers was something that's very important. And the hosting of strangers compelled Abraham to keep all four sides of his tent open in order that he would never miss a chance to invite others to his table. It prompted Jethro... You, go, you look in Exodus 2, 16 and 20. Go there, Rocket. Exodus 2, 16 through 22. It prompted Jethro to chastise his daughters for not inviting Moses in for some refreshment. Exodus 2, 16 through 22. Let's work. watch it right quick. Look at what happens. Can we read together? It says what? Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water trough for their father's flocks. Let's keep going. But some of the other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped in and rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, uh, to, to Ruel, their father, it's no name for Jethro, he asked, why are you back so soon? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered, and then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Watch what the father said. Then where is he? The father asked, why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. 21 and 22. It says this. Moses accepted the invitation and he settled there with him. In time, Ruel gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. The black woman. Just, just throw it out parenthetically. Because this is Moses. It was, was it Aaron and, and who, who was his sister? Miriam had a problem with Moses and his black wife. And she got, I'm going to say, leprotized <laughs> because of her ignorance. Can I get a witness? So, so again, so Jethro says, invite him to the tables. Let's, let's, let's sit down and eat because he, he bled. It encouraged the poor widow of Zarephath. Y'all remember the widow of Zarephath? Uh, it, 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 it encouraged her to provide Elijah even uh, a meal, even though her cupboard was empty. When he approached her, she said, I'm getting ready to gather this little bit we got left. My son and I are going to eat and we're going to die. 
Elijah said, no, 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 no. Fix it for me first. Now, how many of y'all would have said, mm, no, 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 I'm a good mama. I'm not going to feed you before I feed my child. But this man was speaking prophetically. And when she moved upon the word of the prophet of the man of God, increase came to her house. You'll go, go, go and read it in 1 Kings 7, 7 through 16. I don't have time to go today, but write it down. 1 Kings 17 chapter, the widow of Zarephath. If you've been in church for any prolonged period of time, you probably heard a sermon preached on the widow of Zarephath. Very incredible story uh, where God, miraculous provision is on display. Let me tell y'all something. God is a God who's able to make a way out of no way. God is a God who can, who can turn a situation around when it looks like everything is dead and gone. God can step in and rectify that situation. God is a God who turns midnights into day. Why do you, why do you keep getting so excited about that, Pastor? Because I've seen him do it for me. I've seen him do it in our families. I've seen him make a way out of no way. Come on. I've seen him turn my midnights in the day, and I know that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all I could ask or think according to the power that works in me. So that's why I get excited. I've seen him work. See, when you've seen him work, you get excited when you hear about his goodness. When you've seen him work, you get excited when you when 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 they sing, How great thou art. When you've seen him work in your life consistently, time and time again, it, it moves you to a level of excitement. So the law ensured that everyone was seen, everyone was known, everyone was loved. But see, God called the Israelites to use the very thing. Now think about this for a second. He called the Israelites, he called the Israelites to use the very thing that broke the relationship between him and humanity in the, in the first home. A bite of food. It was food that broke the fellowship. And God is going to use food to restore authentic community and relationship. Oh, God. Watch this, watch this. Food <laughs> would reveal his Ahab, his, his, his love, that, that love that, that's pervasive, Amen. It, it, it will reveal his Ahab, his, his, his love to the rest of the world. To share a meal with someone was to share life with him. And it was a gesture of intimacy. It helped create a bond of unity between strangers in a way that no other physical act could replicate. And as a Jew, Jesus would have been both a giver and receiver of this same Levitical hospitality. All throughout scripture, we see Jesus building fellowship around a meal. So, so we're going to go through a few scriptures right quick in the in time I have remaining. But I, I, I want everybody to say, at the table. Say so it again, say, at the table. At the table, he celebrated two people becoming one in John, the second chapter. The, the wedding feast, where he performed his first miracle, where he turned water into wine. Can we go there right quick? John, the second chapter. I got to move. Are y'all ready to move? We're going to John, the second chapter, verse 1 through 11. We may look at John, the 6th chapter, verse 1 through 13. I, I mean, I get all of them, but I want you to write them down, okay? And, we, and Mark, the 14th chapter, verse 12 through 26. And then John, the 21st chapter, verses 1 through 25. I know I can't read all that today, but I want to give you those, okay? So, everybody say, at the table. 
At the table, he celebrated two becoming one. Watch the text. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Text says, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus, Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Watch this. Next verse. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Text says this. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, watch this. He said, no dip, no dip, now, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremony. So the servants followed instructions. Read on. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Watch this. A whole, now, listen, what Jesus does here, guys, you may, he saves this family from embarrassment because meals and how they were, 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 were given out, it was a very culturally important thing. And to run out of wine basically was a sin in the eyes of a lot of people. They would, they would be shamed if that, if that took place. And host always serves the best wine first. He said, then when everyone has had a lot to drink, <laughs> he brings out the less expensive stuff. Can I put it that way? But you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Canaan in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So at the table, he celebrated these two people becoming one by performing a miracle. At the table, everybody say at the table. He multiplied the faith and the obedience of a young boy. Go to John the 6th chapter right quick. Let's move. Verse number 1. John 6, verse number 1. Jesus, you will find him consistently having the disciples around him. Even when he came to visit two sisters by the name of Mary and Martha, there was an issue around what was happening at the table. Can I get a witness? One sister got upset because she was doing all the fixing and the other was sitting down gleaning from the master. So much so to see, how many of y'all ever got so frustrated you couldn't hold it? Was it Martha? Martha got so frustrated. She said, Jesus, look, look at what's going on here. Y'all sitting there around talking at the table. I'm fixing the meal for the table. My sister sitting there gleaning from you. She ought to be over here helping me. I, I feel some of y'all right now. That's a whole other sermon. But the reality is, wherever Jesus went, a lot of times there was discussion around the table. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. Sister Darth, I thought about you and your dad around the table. Watch this. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Watch this. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Text says, then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was, nearly, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. He soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, I tell you before, when Jesus asked a question, he already knows the answer 
to the question before he ever asked it. Y'all with me? All right, so where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, here he is doing ministry. All these folks around, crowd, it's getting late. See, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? Watch the text. He was testing Philip. For you already knew what he was going to do. Text says this, Mr. Reed. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Y'all ever had some folks like that that when they come to your house, you can't ever fill them up? Y'all ever had those kind of guests? Your food bill goes up. Let me give y'all a lesson. Okay, can, can I give y'all a lesson? For all those who be traveling for the holidays, when you go to somebody's house, all right? L- listen, listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. I, I want to teach you something here because you'll be welcome back even more so. Now, listen, you ain't got to do this, but I'm telling you this wise. Whenever you host somebody in your house for a week or so, Everything goes up. Water goes up. Electricity bill goes up. Food bill definitely goes up. So even though you're a family, that's your sister, that's your brother, that's your uncle, that's your grandmama, whoever. All right, when you go to somebody's house and stay, they, they, they're not going to ask you for it. But it will be good for you to drop a seed when you leave. Because you can't go to a hotel and stay for free. You can't eat at the breakfast bar downstairs in the lobby for free. So leave a little something there. Some of y'all are so cheap. Y'all, you think, well, this is cheap. I travel to California for free. All I do is pay for my plane ticket. I ain't about no food. Leave something there. Every time we go, and every time my brother comes, and he, 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 listen, I'm preaching to the choir. When our brother comes, and they stay with us about three weeks, right? And uh, I don't know if I told you this, but uh, let, me, let me show you what my brother-in-law did, okay? The freezer went out because we had to freeze the pack for the stuff. And, and, and when the freezer goes out, and it was dead because it was 20 years old, and it was packed full of food. And so it went out. So, Alicia, we, we, I had to go out. I, I was at Home Depot at 6.30 in the morning. I didn't know they opened at 6. I got there at 6.30. <laughs> Trying to save the food, Nate. So, so, so. Bozier didn't have one, but Shreveport had one. So I rolled over to Shreveport and bought the freezer, and I called my brother, Jerry Blake. He was so kind to get up out of his bed, bring his flatbread truck, and we towed the freezer back to the house and took the meat out the freezer and everything that was in there and put it in the new freezer so we wouldn't lose the food. And next thing I know, Brother Al cashed out me $500 to pay for half the cost of the freezer. And you know what I said? Man, you ain't got to do that. What you doing that for? Now, how many of y'all would be in the same boat? See, and then and Marrera said the same thing. You don't have to do that. We, he know he didn't have to do it, but he chose to do it. And we tease him and say he chose to do it because he eats so much when he's here. He wanted to make sure the food was there. Now, watch this, watch this. When I got ready to take him to the airport this past Thursday, here he goes, hands me a check. He hands me a check. He hands me a check. Four digits. And he wrote on the, on the back and on the side in the, in the, in the margin for hospitality. 
And you know what I did? Yvonne, just like a good man do. No, you ain't got to do that. No, I tried to give it back to him. But then the Holy Spirit says, just learn how to say thank you. When people bless you, learn to say thank you and get your pride out of the way. We're so prideful. And we be praying for God to bless us. And then now God blesses us and pay half the freezer. And am I telling too much? She's looking at me like, you telling too much. I'm to help somebody. So I'm letting my life be an open book so I can help you. So next time you go to stay with some relatives, don't mooch off of them. Somebody say, say it again. Just, just be kind and bless people. I've learned how to bless people and learn how to receive when the Lord blesses you. Through people. God, some of us think money going to drop out the sky. God's going to bless you through people. All right, so my brother-in-law uh, blesses. That's all I want to say because he enjoys sitting at the table. Philip replied, even if we worked months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Come on, let's go. I got to finish. Then Andrew Simon, uh, Peter's brother, spoke up. Watch this. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? He forgot Jesus was there. Some of y'all have forgotten Jesus is there with you. You keep talking about, what, what, am, I, what am I going to do? How can I afford that? You forgot Jesus is there with you. He says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the, the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. After what he did, the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. They got full. The text says this. Watch this. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Glory be to God. 13, verse 13. Watch this. So they picked up the pieces of up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. I just personally believe that it was 12 baskets for each one of them one to have a basket. Say, don't you ever doubt me again because I'm able to do exceedingly abundant above all you can ask or think. I'm able to do the impossibilities in life. Learn how to trust me and I will provide. That's Jesus himself. Everybody say at the table. At the table, he ushered in his greatest sacrifice. The, remember the Last Supper? When he sat around the table, they ate a meal before he broke bread and gave them with, you know, bread and wine to symbolize the, 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 the crucifixion. They had a meal all throughout to find him at the table. Amen. There's a lesson in that for us. At the table, <laughs> the, the, the the greatest sacrifice, the last supper, he ushered in his, his sacrifice. That's in Mark 14, verse 12 through 26. I don't have time to go there. At the table, he promoted a person who had denied him three times. Go to John 21 with me right quick. Come on, John 21. I got to get out of here. Oh, Lord Jesus. As the bread of life, John 21, um, if you look at, let's, let's, get, let's go down to about maybe about, uh, verse 15, if you will. As the bread of life, Jesus knew that inviting someone to the table was never just about eating. Hear me carefully. It's never just about eating. It was always about being nervous. It was always about life. Something Zacchaeus desperately needed. And something we all desperately need. Remember, Jesus even invited himself to dinner. Have y'all ever heard somebody invite themselves to your house? 
Jesus, when he was going and the crowd was pressed around him, this short man, this tax collector, this crook named Zacchaeus climbed up what kind of tree? A sycamore tree to see Jesus. And Jesus looked up and said, hey, listen, you get on down. Tonight I'm coming to your house. He went to his house for dinner. He sat at what? The table. And when he sat at the table, guess what happened? Zacchaeus got saved. He got saved. After after breakfast, here we are, after breakfast. I I tell you what, let me do this. And and I I promise you I'm finishing. Do y'all get the drift? You should have gotten the drift by now. Hospitality involves inviting people in around your table. Are y'all with me? Look, look back if you um, at verse number 12 of, of John 21. I, and I, I let, I'm going to let you get out of here. Show me the evidence. So if, if, if you know what scripture says about hospitality, here's what I'm going to challenge each one of you all to do, each one of us to do. Before this month is out, I'm going to give you, before the month is out, Here's your challenge. And look at the person next to you. Sit next to you and say, we're going to hold each other accountable for this. Before the month is out, before the month is out, I want you to host somebody at your table. All right. Not your sister. Who over there every Sunday anyhow. Somebody who doesn't normally come in. Now, listen, a lot of times when I say this stuff, some of y'all just, you, you hear you laugh at it and you go on and you don't think anything else about it. But I want to ask you about it. Because I want, I, in 2023, I don't want us just to hear this stuff and then just, okay, just close your Bible over. Yeah, that was good. That was good for them. But, you know, Pastor, I, just don't, I, don't, I don't like fooling with people. So let me ask you a question. How are you going to please Jesus if you don't like fooling with people? How are you going to please God if you never avail yourself or make yourself open to be able to minister to people? Because you can't minister to people if you don't talk to people, if you don't spend time with people. So I want to to encourage you, before the month is out, make a time to invite somebody to your table. You say, well, uh, Pastor, I I don't have my house. Listen, you eat there, don't you? Quit being embarrassed about what the Lord has blessed you with. I was having a conversation just yesterday. I, I, I was talking, I said, you know, stuff don't matter to me. I'm going to say when I don't, when it says it don't matter, it's okay to have nice stuff. But you'll never hear me going around bragging about stuff that I got. Because it's just stuff. It could be here today, gone tomorrow, it could burn up tomorrow. God don't, God, and, and, and for all you judgmental folks, God don't have a problem with with, with somebody being blessed to drive whatever they want to drive. <laughs> I always, I always, uh, listen, I, I, I always remember this and I, I and I, and I, I ate my own words. I remember, and I, I shared this with y'all before when I was first working at the bank and, and, and Yvonne was driving an Acura Legend. Back in the day, Acura Legend was the car. <laughs> and I think I may have shared with her, I said, I, I can't, I just can't see myself ever paying that much for a car. I, I was actually being judgmental if they don't know the truth about her driving that Acura. It was white. Looked good, too. 
<laughs> you remember that car, don't you? It looked good, too. But I was being just, God, listen, God has no problem with you driving whatever you want to drive as long as what you drive and don't have you. Amen. So quit judging people based on what they drive and where they stay or what job they have. Just, okay, that's for somebody. I don't know who it is. Can we finish here? I got to finish. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who, you, who, who are you? This is after the, after the resurrection. He says, they knew it. Watch this. Then Jesus served them the bread. And the, here Jesus is at the table. Everybody say at the table. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. Can we keep reading? He says, this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. He says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon and Peter, Simon, Simon, John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my, ba- feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Next verse says, well, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, uh, you know I love you. Uh, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Next verse, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt <laughs> that Jesus asked the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, what Jesus was doing here at the table was restoring this man because this man who had said, I'll never deny you, amen, denied the master. And Jesus had to get Peter right emotionally so he could move forward and do the work of ministry. He's restoring Peter at the table. Everybody say, restoration takes place at the table. Everybody say, healing takes place at the table. I got to stop. But the ministry of hospitality is important for forging God-honoring, authentic community. Some of you don't realize how blessed you will be when you learn how to embrace authentic community. Getting past your little quirkiness and say, God, you know, I'm going to invite somebody who I wouldn't ordinarily invite to my table so that I can begin to cultivate and to prime myself to be a minister of hospitality on a regular basis. I'm going to get past my uncomfortableness and represent you at the table. Jesus gave his very life to save us so that he could use us to reach people. Here's you. Every last one of you in here. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. He wants to use, he wants to, he wants to use your story. You've been embarrassed by your story. God said, I want to use your story to help somebody who's doing this, who's going through the very same thing you're going through. Give your head back if I close. Father, we thank you.